Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the return of the show. My name is Abraham, and today joining me is Ben and Matt. And today we're talking about House of the Dragon, not just the finale, but all of season one. So you have been warned. Spoilers ahead. Okay, I I have something real quick that I have to uh, get off my chest, Abraham. Yes. So, um, it has come to our attention that everyone that's been viewing our content, we have a lot of people that come back for more. But I know that you're not subscribed. So that's going to be a little bit of a problem. And um, we're going to need to address that. So here's the thing. I need you to subscribe. Otherwise, um, I will personally come to your home with a very large dragon. And I will just simply have it swallow you whole. This is a threat. Subscribe. Back to you, Abraham. Well, empty threats. Because as we know, dragons aren't real. But anyways... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, uh, th- thank you so much, Ben, and thank you to the, all of our listeners today. We're talking about House of the Dragon. It's back, and we're not just talking about that. We're here to settle the debate once and for all. Team Green or Team Black? Who is I have right? a bone to pick with you. Excuse Dragon me? Tales taught me two things. One, that <laughs> I can speak Spanish, and two, that dragons are real. So stop it, Abe. Yeah, I'm I'm also deeply upset by this. I have so many Dragonology books, Abraham. Are you telling me that all of them are lies? All right, well, thank you just for interrupting my, my opening copy. I appreciate that. But... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes, dragon. We all love the Hispanic dragon. We all love the one that can speak Spanish. He's our favorite. We know it. Yeah, just opening thoughts. Who's right? Ben, I'll start. Actually, no. Ben, you cut me off first. I'm done with you. Matt, you go first. Who is right? (laughs) Team green or team black? You have to be objective Uh, in this. Objective. I lean team black. Okay. Cut off. Cut off. Right there. You're team black. Ben, who are you? (sighs) Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Team Black. I I do have an issue with the conflict here, but I I'm gonna go Team That's Black. That's it. 
team black, and I am also team black. So if you're team green, you gotta you gotta stay out of be warned because we will not be favorable to your side. That's just our opinions, though. Obviously, you're welcome to disagree in the comment section down below. And I do want to start off before we get into the meat and potatoes of this discussion. A very big question that is kind of in the back of everyone's mind is, has House of the Dragon brought back Game of Thrones? You know, season eight is a season that we will not discuss any further. Um, it, it existed. It did. You're correct. It, <laughs> it was it, Season eight is a thing. It was written produced directed and we have it yes we do um it, it so almost didn't get the show made that's actually wild to think about how how much cultural re- re- how much cultural relevancy game of thrones had and how much it dissipated overnight and how much it's seemingly been revived I will say it felt like it kind of came back overnight. Um, at least for me, I don't know about anyone else, but when watching the show, the first time that you hear the Game of Thrones music, dun 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 dun, dun and you see the new opening, there was just like a complete sense of nostalgia that washed over me. I was like, ah, I'm like back in the 2010s enjoying incredibly quality television. This is amazing. See, for me, when that... Um the pilot didn't have that intro. So I wasn't sure what they were going to do. And when you see the HBO logo fade into that music, I just had the biggest grin on my face the entire time. I'm like, fuck yeah, we're back. Yeah. I will say the one thing I didn't like about game of Thrones and not to say that early game of Thrones was bad, but still a complaint that I had just about the nature of the show and shows like the walking dead is that they are completely you know, they hinge on their ending. If the ending doesn't pan out, the rest of the show is moot. Whereas with this, because the ending is already written and because there is a clear and defined end goal and ending stakes, there isn't this nebulous threat in the north. There isn't, oh, Daenerys might come over. You know, there there isn't a lot of what ifs. Everything is laid bare. So I feel like the entire show is just better off for it. I can actually see a scenario with this show where it kind of becomes like the crown after a while where they tell um, where every couple seasons they tell different stories about different generations of the family. I would prefer Uh, that. Honestly, I need small isolated stories about specific characters and their struggles in this world of succession that they've created for themselves. That's much more interesting than than eight plot lines that may or may not go somewhere in 10 seasons and then ultimately doesn't i mean okay i have a i do have a bone to pick with this show though because in my opinion they committed one of the most egregious tropes that i really hate for high complex situations um and this is kind of like like the entire main conflict the entire point of this episode of the podcast is team green or team black we know that there yeah. are sides here. There is a war, a Bruin that is arguably we just had the spark that's going to light this whole fucking powder keg at the end of the final. Um, shit's really bad. But initially, what kind of started that up was a fucking misunderstanding. Because in the, I, I think it was the penultimate episode. Yeah, in the penultimate episode, they're having dinner and... 
Viserys, our boy, our man, the like most epic old dude in existence, is doing the good granddad slash dad. Yes, that's weird, but he's doing the good thing and being like, you guys need to stop fucking fighting. This is fucking stupid. There's literally no reason for you guys to hate each other. Like, the succession set, we're all good. There's no reason to have these contrived arguments. And everyone finally goes to Otto's dismay. Yeah, you're right. We should, as adults, try start figuring things out. And are the kids a little shitty to each other? Yes. But the adults are still in the room, and ultimately, they're the ones making decisions. Then, where shit goes off the rails, it's like, ah, we're like, yay, we're going to avoid that conflict and everything's going to be happy. And Allison misinterprets her husband's sleep talk. The entire main decision that Alicent makes that spins this thing off is based off of a misunderstanding. All right, I got to stop you there. Um, things were already in motion. Otto was already going to make a move. If um, Otto... Because yeah, the first few minutes of that council... No, here's the happening, thing, though. You see the Lannisters and everybody else ready to go. They were, they were going to make a move. No I'll strongly why. disagree with you on this, though. Alicent wouldn't have co-signed it. They would have had resistance. What she gave them was a golden platter to do it. The conflict would be completely different. What they would have done would have been seen as just a coup, and there would have been easier ways for Venera to just rain fucking fire down on them. Because ultimately, Allison wouldn't have been on their side. They wouldn't have imp- they wouldn't have had an easy time imprisoning um uh, imprisoning Princess Renares. It would have yeah, been I mean, difficult. I would. I would. Uh, here's the thing. I don't mind it as a plot point. I think it's actually kind of. I think to Matt's point and just a larger point of the show, this has kind of been set in motion for so long. It's not just like the only. It's not the only thing. It is a multitude of their past and their and their traumas, and the whisperings of the people in their ears, that kind of also aids in her misinterpretation. But. I will say, Ben, to your point, that there is a little bit of a bait and switch on the writer's part where they intentionally paint Alicent to be a well-meaning character during that entire episode. Even at the dinner scene, when Renera goes to leave, she is you know, very, very adamant about her staying and them trying to rebuild the relationship. And then the second that there is even a whisper of... Of a, of a change of his mind in his current state, which you know is terrible. It did seem a little weird that she would just be like, yeah, he just said, he just said sh- that my son should be the king. I don't know what to do, you know? So instead of maybe boiling it down to uh, delirium, to a, a bad dream, anything, you know? Here's the thing. This is, this is where I will now agree with Matt. Re- and- and also to a point that you just made, Abraham, like Allison is such a product of Otto and the way that he just set her up in multitudes of like where she's going to go, what she's going to do, and also what she needs to be afraid of, that she's had enough that like a push back in that direction, which is what that was, a push, was going to set her back into the path that Otto had carefully laid out over years and years and years i also think there's a bit of a almost a prisoner's dilemma kind of dynamic going here where 
both sides are kind of acting the way they are because they're afraid that the other is going to kill them if they don't do what they're doing. So so there's this is almost a study in game theory in a lot of ways. Yeah, to that, let's actually go with all that being said, let's just jump into the high towers and their whole stake in this fight. And yeah, Matt, I, I feel like I, I'm you're right and you're simultaneously not right. Because I, <laughs> I here's here's the thing. I think you're right that Allison believes that Renera or like Allison lives with that fear that Renera would put her children at the stake if her succession were to come true. And the same thing with Rhaenyra. She thinks that of Alicent. But that's only because Otto is the one who keeps saying it. Otto's the one who keeps saying, like, men will never, or like, the kingdom will never allow Rhaenyra's rule. Like, they will never allow it. When he's really just, he's talking about himself whenever he mentions the realm or the lords or they won't allow your children to live. You know, it's it's all stemming from him and men like him who are driving a wedge between these two. So want to play devil's advocate. Do you think he has a point? Do you think other people would have accepted Renera? Um, so I, I personally think that it would have happened. I think that there would have been Lords that would have potentially tried to step out of line. But the thing is, is that, uh, you know what else happens to the Lords that try to step out of line? Fucking Damon. Or yeah, at dragons. least other or or dragons. the The point is, is that like Renera would have been set up to be a really unstoppable force. And yes, one of the like one of the main themes here has everything to do with sexism in the realm. Which personally, for me, when I started watching this, kind of gave me a little bit of whiplash because while that did exist in Westeros within the first season of game excuse me within the first show just game of thrones it was not necessarily highlighted in the way or established as as much of a barrier that there couldn't be a queen um just straight just straight up a queen ruling like it always had to be something else like sexism was like a ah it will be difficult but like it's definitely possible now, that being said, from what I remember, the Song of Ice and Fire do play up the sexism a little bit more differently. So I do think that this is a little bit more of a hard adaptation of George R. R. Martin's work, where it's like, ah, yes, Westeros sucks to be a woman in, and we're now seeing that a little bit more. But this is also a woman with dragons. Yeah, and to your point, Matt, about if they would allow it or not, y- your point about if Me- if Otto has a point, if men would allow it, I feel like is is not not wrong. I do think that there would be resistance, but simultaneously, Otto is a hypocrite because he is pushing to make that a reality. Oh yeah, and and he's also self interested. He he tries to campaign his own daughter as the one to marry the king, as the hand of the king. You know, that already is pretty shady. So the fact that he's perpetuating this while also preaching it, you know, I, I feel very, very slimy about that that yeah. way of thinking. And also, like, there are characters that we just have not met. We have to keep in mind that the people that Otto has sat around that table are, for the most part, all like-minded as him, where there's plenty of other lords that would back Renera's claim and go with Team Black, essentially. Like, I... I don't see his main argument 
being anything more than a manipulation, but a very yeah. well-grounded one. Matt, what do you think about Otto? <laughs> well, a lot of people were kind of comparing him to, like, Littlefinger or even Tywin Lannister. He's a lot more soft-spoken, and he's more like... um, How do I put this? He's kind of like a demon or like a devil character where... The way they get you to make that bargain is that they phrase it in the most reasonable, most enticing way possible. Yeah. So he he kind of comes across as this very intelligent, very Machiavellian, but, you know, just very, very intelligent, very grounded. And it's like, hey, look, I don't want it to be this way, but if she's if she gets ruled, then this will happen. And nobody wants that. Yeah. And the fact that he like he put the when the Lords came after Viserys' death and he was just like. Yep, this is what we're doing now. If you don't bend the knee, you die. The lord, some of the lords were like, "Yeah, I already pledged my oath to a different person, and now you're just saying it's different." I don't know, scummy character all around. But I mean, I, all of that, all of that trickery kind of just ended up getting washed into Alicent just by her upbringing and what he did to her, which so I just, I just feel bad about. I, I don't know because I. Th- I see Alicent as a much more well-meaning character, uh, and this might be a difference between the books and the show. I do see oh, her is. as being much more sympathetic. Like, that's a character that, like, I'm going to be sad when she dies. Like, she is not playing the Cersei role. Uh, I don't really like it when we ha- compare these characters to their uh, Game of Thrones counterparts, because... Really, George R. R. Martin is an incredible character writer, and all of these characters have their own unique identities. Like, Alicent is, if I had to have a better analog, it she would be closer to just a savvy um, Sansa, a politically savvy Sansa that knew what was going on early on. Like, Catelyn Stark. Yeah. Like, the way that I see her is she's much, she has much more grounded motivation. She is trying to do what she genuinely thinks is best. She legitimately does not want a war. She probably thought that her husband was telling the truth, mostly because that's what she wanted to believe in that, because that's what she was set up for. But she's got the trickery. Like, she learned from her dad. Yeah, I'm not saying I don't think it's a bad thing that she can be slimy. That's just the fact that she is politically savvy to me. Yeah, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, by the way. Like, I'm just saying that the 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 feelings of negativity of the situation, that oh. it all stems from Otto. Like, yes. I'm not saying that Allison is a slimy person, because I don't, I, I, I genuinely don't believe that. But her actions are in line with Otto, even though she has a conflict with him. And yes. that's because of her upbringing. So the interesting change from Fire and Blood that this show makes um a, like the most interesting changes revolves around allison oh and lanor too but uh get to him later um allison is significantly older in the books than renera is oh. and so they don't have that like bond that oh, the show really presents. yeah no the 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 chemistry that those two characters have that's a show invention and so because they don't have that closeness of the relationship there isn't nearly as much of that kind of hesitation and Allison and Otto are very much in lockstep in the books. Is, yeah, I'm wondering if that's like a if that's a, a, a something that the book that the I wonder if that's something that the directors 
notably did, just like they did the uh, the children of Lord Corley's, how they changed their race to make it reflect the bastard children of, you know, the strong bastard children. I wonder if that's a similar thing where casting changes were made in order to make an audience believe something. Because, I mean, I shipped the two of them when they were in their first few episodes. I oh, thought I that too. that was, I thought it was pretty clear that they were at least romantically interested in each other. Yeah. Um. I, I mean, I could see it. First of all, I do think it is a way better story direction to have her be of the same age as Renera, um, than to otherwise it gives, because it provide it turns them into very, very stark foils right off the bat, which is exactly what we need for this show to work. Um, but also it adds a, it, it adds a certain level of scummy, scumminess onto both Otto and unfortunately the series, um, but on the ship note, uh, I I have a problem with this. I just have to ask um, book readers, uh, are either of these characters actually bi? Nothing's ever, nothing's really ever mentioned yeah. about it. Um, um, so here's the thing with the books. I, I, I got to go on a tangent here for a second. So the book is not presented from a neutral point of view. It's history. The right? way that George R. R. Martin always writes his books is that it's you, the information you get is always through someone's lenses yeah um so like the original series it you don't get this objective third person point of view you get limited third person point of views and i think the first book has like nine different characters you see events from and then it just balloons from there um fire and blood is kind of similar so it's written as a history book um but it's also written from three different sources and so each of these sources have somewhat different interpretations of it, it's like the first four books of the bible or of the new testament where it's like a lot of the same information is being presented but little details are different some character motivations are different here there so you don't actually get a look into a lot of these people's heads you just get what happens and what the person writing that book interprets as what has what happened i see yeah so the is so is the renera and allison friendship like is that also a a show invention it's mainly a show invention because like i said um, okay so th- this is where the Renner problem is like comes. 15 years younger in the book yeah so, so again so that, this is where yeah. the problem comes um this is called queer baiting if 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 there's no actual confirmation even from a plot perspective that either of these characters are by because here's the thing it wasn't like a little bit like they're interested in each other it was like ah this is very much being coded as very gay um now if the show actually does something with their sexuality in this regard then detract everything that i just said but if they're sticking to the books and there's no plot line that ever addresses this then that is still a problematic producer choice um now does it harm the story no is it something that really should be done as a like mass media sense also no see here's the thing i think if anything it just highlights the tragedy more i don't know if i agree with that just because but again because if they the do thing- something with this if they acknowledge that they actually do have feelings for for each other at some point then great well that's the thing but well, it should not be in the subtext there is because I guarantee you, just because of you know later things that we'll talk about in this podcast that are different in 
in actuality versus third person accounts as you know as is stated in the book i don't doubt that that's something that they could do um it's possible I, I will give it. it. It is possible, but as of right now, I do. I am a little suspect of it. And again, they've made major. They've made major changes. Characters are alive that should be dead, and that's probably going to come back into the story at some point. So it makes sense oh, that you, they could expand upon it, but we'll just have to wait and see. We can talk. We can keep talking about Rhaenyra and Allison all we want. And as well as the Hightowers, who, you know, we may or may not feel certain ways about. But let's now talk about some of the people that are in the corners of Green and Black. Uh, let's talk about the man, the myth, the eldritch being himself, Viserys Targaryen, crawling out of his death. Just, he, Patty does such a good job in this role. And he's probably the, just the best performance best character in the show definitely the heart of the first season i'm i'm genuinely sad that he's gone i i am i, I knew that he his time among us was not going to be much considering all the time skips but like when he he breathed that final breath i was genuinely like damn this is the end of an era and it they didn't fake us out this time with like a ah he's gonna be the main character type thing it was just fully like this is a supporting role this is a character that strictly exists in order to kind of stay as the sticky glue keeping this fucking family together and you know what's going to happen once he dies and all shit has now broken loose. I on, honestly I, I fucking love the story for this guy. It wasn't if it was when with him. Yeah, cuz he was definitely <laughs> every episode when his name credit when his name popped up on the opening credits, I was like, "Oh shit, he's still alive." <laughs> like, <laughs> we were on episode 6 and I was like, "Oh, he's he's still kicking it." Um I also think it's crazy that we have this sort of uh, we have this opinion of him when in actuality, episode 1, he we all we were we hated him in episode 1. Yeah, it the the turnaround on on audience perception is crazy, and it's really it really is about how a character ends, not how they begins. Well, because I did not root for that man in episode one. I was like, I fucking hate you. You're the worst piece of shit ever. And and then he dies, and I'm like, oh. I think there's a couple things to be said about that. Uh, first of all, the the killing of your wife during childbirth is obviously a reoccurring theme here i think we've seen three people have really really difficult childbirths throughout the show so far and uh only one of them has not ended in the mother's death as i am aware um oh god yeah yeah um oh. which it which does say something about about uh Renera's character though um the entire idea that she's the she'll be the survivor of this like there is some neat uh there's some neat symbolism going on there but the decisions made by men in the, in power like that's a major theme and like one of the elements here is like that's what George R. R. Martin wants you to believe society was like in this world now by modern day terms we would fucking hate anyone for doing what he did but, like, by the terms of the show, apparently, that's just how it went. 
which is horribly fucked up. And obviously audiences are going to immediately go, I don't like him. But then when you start realizing like, ah, culturally, that's just kind of what's going on. And then everyone moves past it in the show. We as an audience will also end up moving past it because no other characters are treating it like it's the horrible thing that we perceive it to be. Um, I, just to be clear, I am not defending his actions. I am just saying that's probably the reason why we all shifted our opinion on of him so quickly. Well, I also don't think the show made it clear enough that it was um, that the wife in the in the very beginning, Emma, that she was dead either way. Um, oh, was she? I think a lot of people missed that. No, um, they they displayed it as a choice of your wife might live and just miscarry or that like that that's how they framed that scene yeah and that 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 was a mistake is what i'm saying i see Um, yeah no if it was because um she was going to die either way so it was either her or the baby or you couldn't have both um or either one would die or both would die i think was the was the original um, choice in the book or yeah ooh okay well that's well well, it's in the show too it's just it's just like not clearly communicated Maybe like you might have to like find go. You have to like find like find pick the subtext of what they're saying. Yeah, maybe that's an issue. Okay. I mean, here's the thing. I don't think that the show is perfect. I do think that oddly enough, this show actually struggles with um, it's it it kind of struggles with its feminist read at parts because of shit like this. But it's also trying to do this while showing that Westeros is oppressive which is one of the reasons why I kind of give it a pass. But yeah, if the show did not set up the fact that um, she was dead either way, that does drastically change the choice that he made at the beginning of the show. Yeah. Maybe I'm just misremembering it, to be honest, but I'm fairly certain that's how it was portrayed or how they tried to portray it. Well, I, I honestly, missed it. I, I think it's this opening moment that kind of leads to his decision to back his daughter because it's the shame that he's feeling and Renera is the only one that gives him a hard time for it yeah everyone else is like yeah you had to do your duty you did what you had to and it's like no you killed you made a choice and it killed your wife yeah like there's no real way around it and that's and why he's so vehement on her being the heir is that it's his way of making up for it in a lot of ways he also must he also probably has to feel like some sort of way about his sister too, because in the opening scene when he's being crowned as the next in line, Princess Rainice, who's like there beside him, like he's giving her like worried looks and side eye. And you know, th- this character, Princess Rainice, throughout the whole series, like she is also another character who's ex- not. I, I would say exemplified. Well. Is that the right way that you use this no, in this context? I, I, I would say exemplified she, the oppression that is Westerosi traditions. She like she is constantly named the queen that never was. What an a embodiment. fucking awful title. An embodiment. I, thank you. That's the better word. Yeah, I I mean her place as spell as well as a uh, word Lord Corliss. Um, I, did, did I say that right? The sea snake. Um. It, they definitely they exist as a foil and like they have a reason to be sympathetic towards Renera, uh, as far as her claim is concerned. And Viserys's relationship with them has always seemed like a healthy one, but I also think that Viserys is actually a little bit more of a foil to his son Aegon because 
the series like there's a couple lines that it's just like he would have been happy being a fledgling lord hunting out the rest of his days doing other things while his sister was on the iron throne um excuse me his cousin was on the iron throne because they're not directly because they're not directly related like he he was not expecting to ever become king that's something that was thrust upon him and he did a very good job keeping the realm in peace but he was reluctant about it he just did his job relatively well um now that being said the iron chair excuse me the iron throne did slice him up a good bit so i don't know if the gods necessarily think that he was doing a good job but their relationship was still very strong and honestly i think that's what's led to the sea snake and and ranieri's like still backing ranera there's too many fucking r names oh my god um ranera rainis i think those are the only two (laughs) <laughs> I think those are the Rado only two. Rado Rytower. <laughs> if we want to get Scooby-Doo? into all George R. R. Martin's work, I can uh, Radagon. Like, are we, there's, are, is there's, there's Scooby Doo. There's two Aegons. There's two Viserys in the show. Um, there's yeah, two there's Joffreys a, in the show. There's. I wonder. There's, there's a lot of Viserys, Jaceris. There's Dracaris, uh, which isn't a name, but. Um, then there's Lucerus, Jaceris. Yeah. There's Cyrax, Arax, there, there's Lenor, Lena. Yeah, there's the namings are are a little bit ridiculous. I will agree with you, Ben. You know, um, there's an Eric and there's an Eric. There's Eric and Eric. There's two fucking Eric. There is also a there, there's also Lionel and Laurie Strong, like which are another uh, two interesting characters that have kind of made their way into this and uh, for the most part are no longer with us. R.I.P. To uh, to Lionel and the other one, <laughs> the old I forget the, I forget the knight's um, name, Harwin. Arwen, thank you. Um, so interesting thing there in the books, we don't know who killed them. Oh, really? Because each, each of the point of views have like a different guess as to who did it. Some people think it was Viserys in retaliation for Harwin getting involved with Rhaenyra. Uh, some people think it was Laris making a power grab. Some people think it was the High Towers. There's no. There's no definitive answer on that one. Damn. I mean, the well, show covered his tracks well. Answer, but uh, honestly, just from a meta standpoint, I love that George R. R. Martin is so much more intimately, intimately involved in the show because it does give us a like, ah, this was definitely from the hand of God when they did this because he approved it in the script, um, which just drastically recontextualizes everything. Such a good touch. It also kind of, they also said this in the show, but that narration that Laris or Laris gives while they're burning about the history of Heron Hall and about all the people going in who are unworthy, them dying in the fire is supposed to symbolize the gods smiting them for this, this fuckery that's going on with Rhaenyra's children. It's supposed to help to bolster the claim that they are illegitimate. Which is a great and and very very Ooh. twisted and yeah because like the history of it is like this guy put all of his blood into the stone and put a curse on it if I'm right Matt and so now oh, all God. the people who go into Heron Hall are forever cursed 
It's why every character who's ever visited Harren Hall and, and claimed it have died in Game of Thrones. So with Harren Hall, um, Harren Hall is the site of like the biggest defeat for uh, Westeros before they got conquered by the Targaryens. Um, so it was built. Uh, it was built by Harren the Black, I think, and the. Um, whomever was ruling the Iron Islands was also ruling the Riverlands at the time. I forget their names. Um, and I think you're right. They did influ- infuse their blood or a lot of people died building it. And there's like skeletons and people built into the walls. Um, but it was also kind of seen as this big symbol of pride and over. It's 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 like flying too close to the sun. Mm-hmm. So they resisted Aegon's conquest, but Aegon had three flying nuclear bombs. And so the entire family just roasted alive in there. Yeah. Oh, and Jesus. it's crazy that it's crazy that Laris used that notorious nature of the hall and used it to supplant a seed in the thoughts of people saying, Ooh, you see, these two boys who are the father of this person went into the hall, they died, that's a call from God, these people are illegitimate. And Laris, this whole season, like, the foot scene... He, yeah, he's the, a foot guy. Oh my god. I, I love knowing that his main motivation for this is not power, but feet. Oh, it's power. It, <laughs> well, Why yeah, not it, both? It is definitely... feet give him. It's definitely it's, both, because <laughs> that's also crazy, because that scene of the of the foot scene... It happens directly after a conversation between Alicent and Rhaenys, where Rhaenys is like, you're building, you aim to build a window in the wall of your prison, and you're just following the orders of all of these men. Why the fuck are you doing it? And immediately after, Laris is there trying to use his power over her, saying like, oh yeah, I'll help you in your claim, help you with you know, getting your children into succession, which is going to help you if you let me hold power over you in the way that I see fit. And the way he sees fit is through feet. Yep. I I, I just want to say, don't you guys love that, like, ah, we know about feet people, and now we have a solid media representation of what a feet kink looks like. And it's hilarious. (laughs) No, I don't like that. I don't need... That's, this don't, is what we get. I think this is the only time I've seen a feet guy on TV, and it's fucking Laris. I mean, Tarantino's been an actor before. Uh, Tarantino... Okay, he's he's not on TV. Also, Tarantino is a meme. I, I'm not convinced he's a real person. This is a... <laughs> for some reason, Laris being a feet guy has more realistic... Also, like... Quentin Tarantino will make being a feet guy seem cool. That's the problem. That's the yeah, thing he'll, is he'll like make it a he'll make it a cool shot. He'll like make it out of focus and it'll rack focus to the feet. Yeah, like he's doing it for his own self satisfaction. The feet. Well, have you ever seen Dust Till Dawn? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, have. Selma Hayek literally just sticks her foot in his mouth yep. at one point. Yep. I was let's move on. Uncomfortable. Let's stop talking about feet now. I, I'm <laughs> I'm putting a I'm putting a a line in the Your sand. Foot down on this. I'm putting my foot down. <laughs> All right. We, we should, we also, I'm sorry, it was right there. I couldn't resist. No, you're fine. It, it was. I literally walked into that. I guess you could say I put my foot in my mouth. But anyways, uh, <laughs> I mean, we just got to stop towing the line and just go for it. All right. Uh, let's talk about more people that we hate. Kristen Cole. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so anything to get us out of this. Um, I fucking hate this guy. I hate him so. He's the character that I hate the most in this show. I, I just want to say we got a foot guy and we have a simp. That's that is what we have right here. I I do not. I genuinely do not know how this character did such a one eighty for me. Like I just didn't see him as being like nice guy personified until he gets like softly rejected from like a very good thing that he had going on i think what they needed to do and this is his portrayal is one of the issues i have with the show i think what they needed to do was to expand on the point that his honor and his place in the king's guard means fucking everything to him and because renera didn't have the maturity to see the power dynamic that she had over him she kind of put in, puts him in a very, very precarious position. Um, because in the books, there is a previous Kingsguard from a couple generations ago who gets caught sleeping with a princess. And she's not even like crown princess or anything like that. She's way down the line of succession. Um, and he gets gilded and sent to the wall for it. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Uh, what they needed to do was to show the stakes of that situation for him and to show that because of her kind of immaturity in handling the situation that he is now kind of on this knife's edge and how his honor means everything to him. But because they didn't properly set that up, he just kind of comes across as like a nice guy. Okay, so that is an execution problem. I I also just have a secondary problem with him. How did that man not get at least kicked out of the Kingsguard after murdering, like, just at the center of the floor, one of the party guests? Uh, When was that? Oh, Lainor. Yeah, he killed Lainor. No, not Lainor. He killed the last thing before uh, the time jump. Yeah, he killed Lainor's, like, lover. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's because it's It's just a guy. But, like... It's because he, yeah, it's because he's a cop and he's not royalty. Fair. I think it's implied that Allison steps in for him somehow, but we never see what she does or how they get out of that situation. Um, oh, okay. That could be it. I mean, like, I the just last fe- thing we see in that episode is her coming to him and stopping him from killing himself. Yes. Mm, that's fair. Yeah. yeah so okay. She, so yes. she would have enough power to potentially sway that. That's a fair point. And yeah, she, this- and, and then he became her king, uh, her consort after that fact. So yeah, that makes sense. That tracks. The other thing um, about this is that in the books, he kills the guy in attorney. Ah. And so he has plausible deniability in 
in that. But because they were trying to just get to the end of the episode, they compressed a lot of things. And one of those compressions was that tournament was cut out. I see. Mm. And then just traded for um, a a man very much in his pride bludgeoning another man's death in the middle of a party. That is the one thing I will say about this season that has been, I guess, a critique. And it does relate to that, to what you're saying about Chris and Cole is that because there's so many time jumps, we don't really get to see a lot of the finer moments between these characters in between these jumps, which I, it it's fine on a first watch, at least for me, just because the actors are killing it every episode. So you, I feel like they're living through all the choices that they made, but at the same time, I wish, I wish we could see some more stuff, you know? Honestly, those first two actors for Allison and um, Renera are so I, good. Well, it's yeah. not that Olivia Cook and Emma Darcy are bad. They're they're killing it too, and they're playing obviously a more mature version of those characters. I just wish we had more time with those first two, though. It, yeah, I it was too. very strange, like realizing, like, oh, this is not the interpretation of these characters that we're living with the entire time. Also, I will have to say on the showrunners' fronts. And like from a directing standpoint, the fact that they were able to get very similar performances out of two different sets of talent for the same characters is astounding. Like well, the older versions were cast first. Yeah, I heard that too. They they worked backwards, which I'm pretty sure is it's how, it's reversed to how they do it normally in casting. Normally they go they cast the younger version first, and they try to find someone older. I think it just depends on which version of the character you're spending more time with. That's fair. And we're going to be spending a significantly more amount of time with the older versions. Yeah, and they knew it was going to be... It, they knew that the first few episodes were like prequel territory, so that does also track. Well, I don't know what the showrunners could have done about the time jumps because um, there is so much backstory they had to cover to get to the war. And they I, haven't even seen the war yet. I don't think yeah. that the time jumps were necessarily a problem. There's other shows that have them. It's just not something that a Game of Thrones audience was used to. Well, it's also an opportunity cost. So to get to the war and to tell the story of the war in its entirety, because there is so much that happens beyond this season um, that I think they wanted to set themselves up so they could properly tell that story. The opportunity cost is that you had to rush through some of those moments. Yeah. On. And even in a situation where they did go slower, the ending would also have to change. Like the ending would have to come at a at an earlier point. I'd imagine if they wanted to spend more time with these characters, it would probably like the, the finale of the season would be Viserys' death. Whereas in what we've gotten is Luke's death, which at least for me is a, a lot stronger of a of a sounding finale oh and even though I, there are there are qualms that i have with how how much we've seen on the whole i'm satisfied and i think luke's death and how it's going to catapult the rest of the war really really cemented my thoughts on that issue even though there are complaints i, I will just say the the entire sequence of luke going out there seeing seeing the big ass fucking dragon that belongs to aemon and everything that followed from there, like, I have never been more tense watching a TV show. Also, I didn't know that he died. I've had 
none of this story spoiled for me. So I was just genuinely hoping he'd make it back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. It's like, well, oh, they casted the sweetest boy to play this role. Look at him. He looks like a small, small cinnamon bun. I was wondering why Jace wasn't getting as much screen time as Luke in the finale. And I was like, we know Jace more than than his than his brother. Why are we focusing on the younger brother? And then he like called his mom perfect in the opening and I was like, oh that's sweet. And <laughs> and then and and then he got eight. He got eight by a big old dragon. It's like but, the classic pulling out the picture of your wife and kids and or like this is one last job or this is my last job before retirement or something. You know it was what's definitely that. You know what's crazy? If I were Luke and I saw that drag, if I saw the shadow of Vagar just in the distance, I would like hop yeah. back on my dragon, go back to mom and say, hey, my bully's there. I can't. That- <laughs> just That's just me. Well, I also think he assumed that just guessed right because they made a big deal to say, you're just there as a messenger. Get in regardless of what the answer is. Get in and get out. That's well- true. Unfortunately, yeah. Luke's death is actually has a lot more to do with the fact that Luke did break the promise to his mother and did fight back. He did have a small fire blast on a dragon. No, that, that wasn't, wasn't him. him. That was the dragon. That was that was just the dragon who did that. He's like he he literally says in the thing he's like, "No, don't do that. You stupid dragon." Oh, never mind. And then like and then Vagar Vagar gets like a like a war because Vagar is raised for war. Yep. So when Vagar's attacked, Vagar's like, Vagar kills. Yep. Yep. So well, the dragons Vagar, just do their own shit. Vagar is also the uh one of the initial three dragons that Aegon the Conqueror from like a hundred years before the show is set. What? Yeah, yeah that he, it, that was one of the dragons that conquered Westeros initially. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah, that's Holy that's why shit. like the war PTSD joke that you've seen on Twitter of like of like fire breathing like over a picture of like a dragon just it's because this dragon was used and raised for war so oh. Aemon using using it to and it was crazy I don't think Aemon intended to kill Luke no he didn't at he, least not in the show he, yeah in the in the books it's crazy because in the books they're like yeah he meant to do it he was or at least it implies that he was wait like known and willing to yeah that's a big change what what happened in the books the same thing happens in the books although it's implied that amond is much more intentionally trying to kill him right because it is coming from a standpoint of the books which are more historical documents type framing which means that whoever wrote it down is taking the side of ah yes he killed this person he was recently seen having a spat and asking for someone to cut out his eye. Therefore, yada, yada, yeah, the, yada. The account is from the Baratheon who they visit. So the Baratheon guy sees Aemon talking to Luke in this way. And he's like, oh, clearly they don't they have bad blood. And then he sees that one of the dragons dies. So he's like, oh, yeah, he just killed him. Yeah. Um. I, I Honestly, I kind of loved the shot of Aemon going, oh, fuck. That's like, like, oh, no, I just started one of the worst wars that this country is ever going to see. Well, what I like, what I really, really like is that in the pilot, Viserys makes a point to say dragons were a terrible idea for us to use to begin with. We should never have 
trifled with them. Um, and in some of the extended lore, like World of Ice and Fire, and um, I think in Fire and Blood, it's kind of implied that there was a lot of dark magic that got used to bind the dragons to the Targaryens to, and the rest of the um, ancient uh, ancient Valerians to begin with. And so, like, whatever that they did, uh, it was not a natural process. Mm. Um, but, and so you you see this idea where these people are kind of toying around with powers they don't quite understand. It's like, it's like what happens is the classic example of, like, a little kid pulling out his dad's gun not knowing what it is. I mean, they were raised around dragons, so it makes sense that he would kind of see it that way um but i i feel like there's a lot more wrong with aemon's character just the the fact that he was trifling with an actual war monster yeah aemon aemon's whole thing because aemon as a kid was bullied not just by you know rhaenyra's children but also by his own brother so he's lived in that shadow as being the second son not having his own dragon um and just that whole confrontation of losing his eye when he's a kid. Also, the pressures from Alicent um, in that scene, the dinner scene where Alicent almost stabs Rhaenyra with a knife. Yeah. There is a moment where Viserys asks, Viserys asks the question, you know, where did you hear that claim that they're bastards? It's pretty evident that, you know, Alicent is the one who pushed this information onto him and the other children. But he is trying to be her confidant. Same with people like theorizing that he might be the children. He might be the father of, um, what's her name's kids, um, Aegon's oh, wife, Helena. Helena. Yeah, their sister, their sister wife. That he's the actual father. There's a theory going around that he might be the real father. That, oh. Though history, no one knows. So, Aemond, similar to Aegon, and similar to the other children in this war, are all the products, and similar to Alicent. They're all the products of all these people pushing their BS onto them. I mean, by all these people, we really mean the square root of this is Otto. Let's well, yeah. be straight. L- let's be straight. It's, this is all Otto's fault. Like, if yeah. Otto doesn't exist, this show does not happen. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Damon I mean, was right from episode one. He, yeah. call, or he called him out on his bullshit. And I'm like, I, I, I didn't believe it, but... Well, they do a very good job of letting Damon take front and center stage as far as being the main antagonist in the beginning, which, I mean, in a weird way, I don't think he's a red herring because I do think that he's legitimately going to be a problem, but he was just enough of a distraction for us to not be angry at Otto in the beginning. Well, Damon is kind of like the one thing that I side with the greens on is that, um, do any of us really think that that guy should be anywhere near the Iron Throne? Oh, fucking no. God, no. And because he's married to the heir, and and, and that's that's not like that's a love relationship. That's not an arranged marriage. Well, yeah. here's the here's the problem that I have with Damon and how they've written the character is that yes, there is definitely some pr- problematic shit going on between him and Rhaenyra in the fact that like obviously like he has like manipulated her to get her to the situation. However, they at least tr- though he is brutal, though he is barbaric and all of the other things that can be used to describe him, the one trait that he seemed to have 
is that he cared deeply about his family and the success of his family. Not always, but not, and it didn't, at least on the surface, seem like it was treacherous in any way. Like almost like in a, I will make my family succeed by by any means. I.e., I'll kill my own brother. I'll do whatever to my sister. I'll kill anybody that I, you know. There seemed to be hard to find lines. It was exemplified in Viserys hobbling to his throne and him putting the crown on him uh, earlier when him and Viserys are having a conversation and he goes, you know, what does it matter what some lord thinks? You are the dragon. Your word is law. I I, I feel like the writers, and it was evident like in a, in, in a later scenes in this episode, they tried to make it seemed like Damon was always a bad guy when they weren't writing him that way. A flawed character, a bad person, yes, but a bad member of the family. Uh, I don't don't believe so. Yeah, I I don't think they wrote that until the, this last episode. So I'm going to, I'm going to point something else out uh, because I do think that like when the writers are like, no, he's the bad guy. You're not supposed to like him. They are, being disingenuous with how they're writing the character because the the moment where his second wife dies um and it's a it it's a mirror foil to his brother's mistake of like is he going to call for them to cut her open let her die so that the child can be born he never makes a definitive decision as a matter of fact he seems conflicted but she overhears the conversation and she thinks that it's going to happen the same exact way that her brother did. And she just decides that she would rather die by her own hands quickly and painlessly like that. Even that decision, the second wife that he has died, which everyone treats as if he killed was not a decision that he actually made. As a matter of fact, he seemed to have infinite conflict over it and it didn't even seem especially the way that they were writing the scene like he was going to go through with it which is like he's showing more honor and respect to his wife than his brother in that moment does she believe that that's going to be the case in that moment no because she rightfully believes that the majority of men in westeros are shitty so she takes matters into her own hands but he legitimately grieves the moment i think it i I think that one was more explicitly, yeah, she's dead either way. No, I don't think it was. I don't think it was. No. In in that instance, they 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 simply asked him, they said it was a difficult birth, but they but the stakes, I know the stakes were not as dire as they were for uh I believe Visenya was her name? Viserys' wife? Emma. Emma. Emma, I'm sorry. Um, there's too many names. Yeah, <laughs> but but yeah, the the situation didn't seem as dire or immediately concerning. It was a concern for sure, but they hadn't laid out the stakes before she had made the decision with her own hands. Oh, okay, yeah, I need to rewatch and that so, then. And so, like, yeah, to your point, Ben, like, yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, they they want to say that Damon is a bad person, which they have done before. But now they want to flip it and say, no, he's just a villain. He's a bad character, which it's it feels a little disingenuous. I did not particularly like the choking scene. Yeah, um, it felt a little out of character for Damon, um, even with the explanation that the actors and the writers gave. 
this is the this is uh, and also i am completely forgetting the name of his second wife right now um lena lena thank you lena um i I was like i need to it it feels very wrong for me to just say damon's wife because she was an important character in her own right um but yeah damon choking her it felt like a 180 because it felt like what we saw was a character that was super immature and then growing into maturity like he had kids he was starting to have a much more he was starting to acknowledge his role as a father more he was starting to acknowledge his role as a family member more like we see things happening in his life plus the fact that he is on significantly better behavior that makes us as an audience go ah this is a character that is slowly being redeemed over time but he has a very checkered past so when we get hit with the choking scene it's gonna feel off because the writers have decided that he's a stacked in character but they have given us character development at the same time. Yeah, I, I, I didn't like a choking scene, and it, it doesn't happen in the books, too. So uh. the, the way that they explain the scene, at least from the actor's point of view, is that this is a response to show... It's, it's, mostly, it's mostly about the prophecy and him being upset that... Because his, his idea and his philosophy around the prophecies and the dreams that Viserys was obsessed with is that they don't exist, they're not real, they're just dreams, the only thing that matters is the blood that we take, the dragons that we ride, and the fire that they breathe. That's all that matters. Whereas Rhaenyra, when she pulls back and she kind of looks at him with this wide-eyed and almost laughing expression, she goes, he never told you. Which is supposed to like rub it in Damon's face and saying, oh, even if you didn't believe in the thing, he did not entrust you to not believe in it. You know, like that is supposed to sort of rub Damon the like that. The only issue with that is that line comes after the initial choking because the choking is motivated by I will not go to war with them. No, he talked. She talks about the prophecy. The she talks about the prophecy, the the well, she her line of he did not tell you only happens after the choking, though. Yeah, I'm saying that the choke, the initial choke from there again. This okay, is from I, there I, I, now, I misunderstood your point. I the see choking is a is a response to him being angry that he was not told, like he is not privy to that information. And when she is saying the you know song of ice and fire that Viserys spoke of, that's like another thing where he's like, and even in earlier he's like, that's your father talking, where he she's talking about saving the realm, bringing it together, not destroying it. The I, fact that Renera is the chosen one in Viserys' eyes and not him. So I, I I don't read that motivation from the scene, though. What it I reads as is Viserys is not doing what he thinks is the best role. What it reads as is he's the one that wants to be calling all the shots. And also, like, all the scenes in the final with all the men in the room constantly speaking before the queen even has a chance making decisions on her behalf. Like, again carries the tone of being a woman in Westeros at this time is fucking awful and no one takes you seriously. And he's a main perpetrator of that. So having it be like the second that she wants to step out of line, he chokes her is what that reads as. It is. That's why. uh, Yeah, I I don't I don't agree with their take. Um, I think it's valid based on 
solely Rhaenyra's acting after she lets go of like Damon's hand, but still, it it felt weird. Yeah, I mean, the thing is though, is that ultimately speaking, um, Damon's whole thing with Rhaenyra is like he's been setting this up, and I do think that the showrunners want us to look at it this way. They want us to look at it as he has always had the intention of being on the throne or at least heavily influencing it. And probably at the end of the day on the throne by some means, that's where they want us to go. We know that that was, that that was his motivation at the beginning of the show. It's going to be his motivation probably to the end of the show. If they're keeping him a stagnant character, um, his path to this was essentially grooming Rhaenyra from a much younger age to, essentially just have very extensive feelings with him. That was the entire point of, hey, let's go to the sex house. And like, sure, he gets cold feet and realizes, ah, what I'm doing is really fucked up. And he backs off. But like, he rubs it in Viserys' face. And ultimately speaking, he kills his first wife to potentially free himself up for power. That's another change from the books, by the way. Um, Well, kind of. The first wife, uh, Rhea Royce, she dies. We never know how or why. This one's a lot more explicit. They say that he is already betrothed at a time before the Woman of the Veil dies. So I'm not sure if that, you know, that is in reference to the Woman of the Veil or if it is his off-screen wife that he's betrothed to. And I also don't know this, the woman of the veil. I do not know her name because they don't give her a character name. I don't think. Um, yeah, they, they give her a name. Uh, do they? Okay. Yeah. Uh, she it's, was badass was, for like the two seconds that we met her. I mean, she just rode a horse. They didn't even, I wish she had like gotten a hunt, a killing or something. I don't know. It's all about presentation, but that is true. She did. She did. She did spit a mean game. She did. It, she indeed. was talking mad trash to David. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that that that's what it got her. I I will say, uh, uh, going away from like, because again, this is now the issue of like author intent versus audience perception. Like we're perceiving Damon as being at least growing or better than the author and everyone on the show wants us to see him, um, which means they'll probably make changes for season two in order to drive that point home. But at least at this point, I do think that his reaction along with Renera's reaction to Luke's death is probably the more interesting part because we're coming hot off this scene of like he choked her. The last thing he did was go down to the dragon pits to try and train more of these ferociously, massively large dragons. Um, And then he's giving his wife the bad news and like actively showing support which is something that like he has struggled to do so george rr R. martin has said that damon is out of anybody in this canon his favorite character that he's ever written and that includes the main series too um just because the way martin talks about him is like this perfect mix of gray in a character that's what i kind of imagined him to be not a and it was it's more evident there there is character development regardless of what the writers want it to be it's also like based on Matt Smith's performance the direction of you know the directors of the episodes they have made a character who's 
who is seemingly like very motivated to do bad things, but for certain people, he will be, you know, good to. When Renera and Damon talk about their marriage, it's by necessity, but also just out of like a, you know, like they are both scorned by responsibility and they both want the throne and they both know each other. I mean, yes, obviously, like there's a there is a weird there is incest. grooming. There, I mean, no, the incest isn't the weird thing. The grooming is <laughs> incest is in the show. It's like a norm. So like I'm 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 numb to it at this point. Um, but, Especially with this family. Yeah. Oh, my God. I remember I saw a TikTok about a family tree and it was like a fucking circle. Oh, my God. But anyways, um, I I like Damon. I did before this one scene. And I hope that this scene doesn't give the writers fuel to just go, oh, we're going to lean into the ramifications of him choking his wife. We're going to lean into that in season two. I don't want that. Well, I really hope that they can... That, that that Rhaenyra and Damon can kind of come to some form of an understanding and reckoning with what they need to do to win this war. Okay, I, I do want to say something. There should absolutely be ramifications for physically assaulting your wife. Um, there be- in this world, I know that there won't be. In this world, well, like the thing is, the that- showrunners are so adamant about never having men own up to their mistakes when it comes to the distreatment of their, you know, their partners, the women in their, in their lives. It just doesn't happen. But the thing is that it needs to be portrayed as not a good thing. And this show so far has been very good about like, ah, when violence against women gets happened, it may be swept under the rug as far as institutionally speaking is concerned. However, the women do not forget. Um, That being said, I'm a little worried because I do think that they are framing this thing as like, ah, casual abuse. And I think Renera is going to let it slide. What I'm kind of worried about with this, though, is we get into a Jamie Lannister situation where they give a character ca- character development, but then treat him as a stagnant character at the end, um, which obviously was one of the reasons why Game of Thrones ending was so bad was because the Cersei Jamie storyline just didn't go anywhere it wasn't good at its end or at its core because all that character development meant nothing and they didn't foreshadow the fact that he was even struggling with that decision um or even that if there was a possibility for that decision to be a decision now as far as like the rest of the seasons are concerned i am hoping that they can understand like okay we're a power couple we have our roles to play damon is a general. He can do that very well. There's one thing that the final made very clear. It's that he will be heading up the armies. Now, Renera, on the other hand, is a politician and she can work her magic there. So I'm hoping that they lean into that. But also, I have no idea what these what what's in the rest of the book. And I have no idea what's in store for us for the rest of the seasons. I just hope Christian Cole dies <laughs> and Otto. The, the, those are my two they must go by the end of the story oh boy we're in for a wild ride from this point on out i'll just say that much yeah because i mean from what you were saying matt it seems like they rushed through to this catalyst so that the rest of the series could just be the real the real shit 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm excited for that. Um, well, until next time, I guess, join us for another episode of Return of the Show, where hopefully we'll be talking about Season 2 of House of the Dragon. Uh, watch out for any of our reviews on YouTube and Spotify and Apple Playlist podcasts. Also, if you do not subscribe, I will be at your home. It may not be an actual dragon. It may just be a dragonology book. I will tell you about my dragons. <laughs> dragon That's the real threat. What, you're like little 3D models? Oh, my God. <laughs> ben shows up. Dragon Venus. Will you watch our podcast? Here's some dragons. <laughs> that's, that's you. That's you showing up at yep. the door. <laughs> yep. All right. Goodbye, guys. It's the <laughs> return of the show. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.